All right, we're doing a little ad hoc podcast, a little out of out of the rescue lab today at the office. So unknown, unknown interruptions and crap like that. But I think I got all the phones off and stuff. So we are here. How many times have we tried to do a podcast? You and I, we did that medic one one right back in the did day. Did a couple of medic one ones, yeah. Yeah, but then we tried a couple, but we were using Skype, and those things turned out like ass. So we figured we'll just do it face to face, make this thing happen. Like I can't believe we haven't posted a podcast with you and I. On element, like we've tried it's multiple times. Sad, well, one we time were... you were sick. Remember that one? Like that yeah, one just yeah, turned out terrible. like ass. Yeah, uh, you were like on drugs and freaking high on like Nyquil and stuff like that. Then we tried that other one. That's when it turned out kind of crappy. That was a good one too, though. It was a good one. Oh well, I should try and pull that up. All right, so we're here with Brent Burr, man, and uh, Brent climber, search and rescue dude, but Medic One One guy. So you run Medic One One. We've done some Medic One One podcasts. Yep. Yeah, but, Medic One One podcast. What else you got? Uh, so hit hit some background, oh, man. man. So yeah, you're a climber. That's how we kind of linked up, man. Is yeah, is uh, doing climbing, rescue, mountain stuff. So yeah, rock climbing since I was a, a teenager, I guess, and that's what got me into search and rescue. When they but you're like 21 now, so it's not like you're saying how you're young as shit, man. Like 30. Three thirty-four. Okay, yeah. So I still so got I'll you by ten years. Something yeah, like I think like thirty-three. More than a decade. So cool. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I started as a teenager rock climbing and um, got found by search and rescue team they were at the local crag one day training they uh, found out I was a local and was just finishing up EMT school I was like 18 or 19 they sucked me to the search and rescue team over there at Hiroshima uh, High Angle Rescue Team the heart team I think it was called back in the day was with them for a while did a lot of their, their climbing stuff um, some rescue stuff there we respond to some areas like the Fula Gorge areas which is pretty pretty rugged terrain um, and so other surrounding counties stuff like that for, for mutual aid requests a little time then uh, paramedic you worked yeah. down. You worked down in Florida, didn't you, for a little bit? Or yeah, yeah. So I went to paramedic school down in Florida, and I worked uh, Lee County EMS down there for a while. Uh, Lee Memorial Health Systems at uh, one of the trauma centers down there for a while as well. Then came back. I think right when we uh, our first or second kid, we came back. Mm-hmm. Back up to Georgia. Got back involved doing uh, a lot of search and rescue, rope rescue, and um, that's it. Somehow I got the yeah, the medical and podcasting started. I have the Curry Rescue Group, yeah. uh, nonprofit. What else do I got? I mean, you probably know this morning. What else do I got? Well, you work in... Well, I teach. Yeah, yeah I teach. teach EME, EMS, so paramedics, EMTs. Teach um, a lot of our... Do pretty much most of our training for our search and rescue team as well. Yeah, we've got to do some stuff. You brought some of your students by one time. We did some preaching, some shit like that. Yeah. Some penetrating trauma, TECC crap. Yeah, yeah. I got, a, I got another one ready, actually, so... Love to get him out soon. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, we we do a bunch, and you've, you've taught with us and done some stuff with SOCOM and and in the mountain stuff and all that kind of crap. So yeah, we've known each other for a little while, man. Uh, it's a couple of years now, yeah. at least. Yeah, awesome. So real quick, man, we're gonna probably forewarn like if it's just me with ADHD, I don't mention it. But since both of us are, this conversations could go way this could down go south. Fi- yeah, yeah, it could go south quick, man, and not come back to what we were even talking about. But uh, we'll try and do a couple quick ones here. But today we're just going to kind of talk about a little disruptive mountain rescue since that's kind of your your wheelhouse on that. And we've got to go out with your team when you're doing some training and stuff into the gorge you mentioned, which is just psychotic terrain. Um, that it is, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, pretty it's, brutal. Yeah, it is, man. It's it's You get some huge cliffs in certain areas. You're what, uh, probably a thousand feet deep in this yeah, pretty narrow gorge. About a thousand at the steepest point, give or take. Yeah, so you get some walls, uh, some unbelievable climbing walls that are usually closed off because of the falcon issues. But yeah, yeah, and usually, yeah, yeah. So we have some climbing walls in the I don't know three to five hundred foot range ish, yeah. depending on where you're where you're climbing at exactly. Pretty rugged even to get into. Yeah. So with that, it, it keeps a lot of the the amateurs out. I think so. We don't have to do too much. Of the climbers, on occasion, couple couple of year maybe at best. Didn't you have like a helicopter attacked by freaking falcons at one point, man? Yeah, I wasn't there for that one, but yeah, they were saying, yeah, uh, yeah the falcons out there. The reason why they closed the, the climbing wall is not because we're going to mess with the falcons and their eggs and whatnot, but because they will Kill attack you. us and they'll fly at you at like two hundred mile an hour or something like that. They're like, <laughs> like nose dive in a helicopter or some shit when you're somebody yeah, doing yeah, a, yeah, a short was, rope or something. They were saying yeah, everyone was freaked out. These birds were going to fly right into the freaking helicopter that's funny as crap man but big area some good some waterfalls some some good moving water some it's some it's some sketchy ass terrain we're gonna be there yeah. next week doing some stuff yeah. which will be great man we'll kind of do a full 
emission profile, uh, casualty management type of thing, with even some vehicle extrication, oddly enough. We're going to try and add in there with some vehicles that went yeah, over the edge years ago, like decades and decades ago. Yeah, there's some weird stuff down there. That'll be cool. So real quick, uh, what we're going to talk about is a couple things people will run into uh, in various, whether it's technical rescue or search and rescue teams, is your team is actually a mixed asset team. So you've got you got people that, some are students, I know, some of your students years that you've recruited yep. that are, have a kind of climbing background, more of a mountaineering um, scramble background. Then you have a traditional FD side of it. Go ahead and cough, man. You good? Burping? Good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, then you got a traditional FD side. How does that whole thing mix together? Because I know, obviously, we talk a bunch and shit like that. It but just does. Yeah. yeah. And so you got you got people that you know are, are still somewhat like NFPAG, like misinterpretation of NFPA to where they, they believe, you know, maybe I need steel. Maybe I need 11, 12 and a half millimeter crap uh, when doing mountain rescue, which is completely opposite of, the, I know, the way you go, which is which is pretty light and fast. Yeah. So, yeah, well, our team is made up of, and it's a volunteer team, volunteer organization of people of varying levels of, of training and previous experiences and hiking or kayaking, climbing, or nothing at all. Um, and we have people that come over from volunteer from the, the fire department or paid guys from the fire department, um, just local hikers, you know, anyone that's part of our team. Uh, all of very different levels of training and all of very different levels of wanting to train and like what their their aspects and some people are really big into swift water or, or rope rescue or just search you know it, it depends we did have issues i think a while back with all the nfpa stuff and we were i think the previous chief over the team um was a you know big city fire department um firefighter and a lot of what they did was big heavy duty Rope rescue, but I mean, you're Although, a mountain team. W- weren't they doing a bunch of training, like on a tower and shit? Like, yeah, that's all they yeah. train on a tower. So train um, for a tower for mountain. That sounds good. They did do that a lot. Yeah, um, that was in between the time that I had left. I think they got into doing a lot of that for some reason, and they lost a large portion of their team because no one joined to go do you know tower rescues at the, the local fire department. And I think most of the injuries there, they're, they're already at the bottom for so. I don't think we really need to train much on that. Um, so, what is the learning curve like? Because I know you and I have done quite a bit together, and you know, putting that into saying, "Hey, we're going from a twelve and a half or eleven mil down to a seven point five aramid to micro tractions and rope mans to you know, that's the, what was that transition hitting on? <laughs> Took about a year. Yeah. Well, well. So, so when I came back in, we were already using seven sixteenths, eleven mil nylon nylon ropes. Um, they'd already moved away from half inch because it's recognized and it's just too heavy, too crazy. But all the other equipment was still the same pulleys and steel carabiners and you know, every harness and everything that we've been using forever with the half inch stuff. So when I came in, um, and I guess I missed a meeting and they, I ended up chief of the team. That was one of the first things that we did. We're like, this is still ridiculous. I know we've gone smaller, but we need to get way lighter. I know some of our first trainings with it, you know, even with just 11 mil rope and just using small equipment or even going with the twin tension technique versus the mainline belay line and then you know training some stuff with single rope people were just like oh stop stop what we're doing i'm about to you can't you can't switch your mainline and belay line you know to to do transfers you can't do that hold on stop and i think it was it was i mean a few people with a little minimal training that didn't really you know any different it's what they learned like in the book as fire academy that type of bullshit right yeah, basically, like yeah. A lot of it. Lowest common denominator. That. This is what you're going to do. This is how you do it, and it's not efficient. The most efficient way, but it's a way that you can remain dumb and not kill somebody potentially. Yeah. So we had a lot of different feedback. So originally, we had um, earlier on in the team, they did a lot of single rope techniques. Like, like I don't know, it was the '80s, early '90s, and that where they were training. That's kind of what they did. Um, and then it was later years they got into the standard, you know, fire department mainline blade line stuff. So depending on how long they've been with the team, they're like, oh, thank God we're going back to the old way. Mm-hmm. And other people were just like, whoa, 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 stop what we're doing. And we really had to stop. They, like, all right, let's stop and let's do some math really quick and let's take a look at this. And it wasn't, I think it was exactly 12 months, the same one or two individuals that are just like, I don't know about this. I'm not so sure. This isn't safe. You know, and you sit them down and like, all right, let's do some math real quick. Let's figure this out. Uh, 12 months later, the guy's running an attended basket on, I don't know, nine or 10 mil single rope technique. And we're like, hold on, stop a minute. And we're like, what are you doing over there, boss? And it was 12 months exactly. And he's like, damn, like we've come full circle. We're solid now. We're totally, totally happy with those systems running, running smaller, lighter. And that was the biggest thing. I think it's changing the way we train. It's not so much systems, but really physics, material science and 
And I, th- I think they I can figure the math out. I dig some of this stuff because, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think you guys got a really good layer capability because I know that, you know, obviously because being volunteer and I think you ran a couple ad hoc rescues, I think it was like almost on like a year ago or two years ago, I can't remember, on like New Year's or something, Year's where Eve, you, yeah. you biked in. So I, I like what you have. So you almost have like a, a little bit of a QRF capability to where the first couple guys that get there, you're going to access that patient really quick. And you've got like very small, really downsized stuff on people that you know are good to scramble, yeah. go quick, releasable anchors, and make access fast. And then as those guys come down, you can radio and they can start building systems or whatever. But yeah. hit, hit on that. For so that, that was one, one thing that we had to look into as far as you know, how quick we'd make access. And there was talk of getting, uh, you know, additional vehicles or quick response vehicles, stuff like that for our team. But we're a volunteer organization. Um, we don't really necessarily have the budget to pull it off, but we, we have personnel that will respond to calls. And instead of having to respond to our station to get our rescue truck and then, then go and route to the call, we can respond from home. We respond where we're at, hop in our vehicles, and we're, we're basically assigning equipment that our guys will have on them or in their car they can get out there and they can do something. So whether it's access or, or stabilize somebody where they are, they have a little bit of med kit, they have a little bit of rope kit. Um, I mean, you have two guys that get together with that kit and they can do a lot of work. Um, but by the time that we can make access and get a good idea on what we're looking at, we can have our, our actual rescue truck there with Stokes baskets or whatever we're going to use to get somebody out. But it's um, that's been game-changing. It's come in really handy a number of times. I think the one rescue you were talking about, the New Year's Eve rescue, was a guy that fell and I don't know, 60 feet or so, semi impaled on a tree branch or a rock or something. Pretty sick. So some 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 of our injuries, you know, are minor and they sprain ankle and they just can't get out of somewhere like Tulu Gorge. But this, this is a different location, different circumstances, and he just fell. Uh, I think there was a second individual as well that was sitting on a ledge that was, um, I think it was like a cowboy boots or something with terrible traction on a slope ledge. So we had to perform a very hasty pickoff, but then we also had to get to a very other, you know, very injured patient that was down below him. So it was, it was pretty tricky. There was only one, it was me with just, I think what we were training with like the week before or something in the back of my car. And we were able to perform the entire rescue basically with what just was in the trunk of my car. They had a Pelican case full of crap and we were able to, uh, I think EMS was there, fire was there, but they had no ability to even get to the guy. Mm-hmm. So we were able to just use what I had, uh, Skedco, I think a backward or something like that, and we were able to, by the time the patients were, the one patient was picked off, the other one was somewhat stabilized medically and packaged. Uh, I think the rest of our members were there, or other members were there, to actually perform the, the evac up the up the mountain. That was kind of eye-opening, because it's not something we've run across that often, where you have somebody that injured that requires that much care and just needs to get out right now um and we you know something you know when someone breaks an ankle it's it's not like an emergent we need to get you out of here right now this is one of those cases and it definitely changed our loadout yeah he was pretty screwed up man i remember yeah 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 yeah, i know the next day we found out what all was broken uh yeah he's gonna be pretty screwed i think there were some abdominal injuries as well he had to to manage but branch impaled will do that to you man yeah Put the quarter in, you're playing the game. And I think it was something kind of silly. Like, weren't they up there, like, doing graffiti or something? Like something it. like that. Yeah. 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 Apparently, graffiti or paint is slippery. Yeah, that happens. Well, Cowboy boots, not awesome. Not, don't wear those canyoneering a bunch. Yeah. Um, so with that, so as far as some of the gear that's kind of your go-to for your QRF stuff, man, I think it's a lot of the stuff that we use day-to-day, too, in SOCOM yeah. and, and stuff like that. So you're using micro-tractions, a 7.5 to 9 mil type of thing, depending on what you got on you, T-blocks or rope mans type of mm-hmm. type of things, and just all your typical, like, aluminum 70-75 type, type gear. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So all, all of our stuff is pretty simple. Basically, the way our kits are laid out is my personal kit or whoever, they're issued personal kits, like a micro-traction, uh, a totem, uh, a couple carabiners. Yeah, you'll have like a roll clip and a, a rope man or a T-block, something like that. It's all of your equipment for ascending or descending a rope for access purposes, but it's also the same stuff that we would immediately just switch over to perform rescue. Perfect, yeah. So that's what I was saying. I have my kit. Um, someone else shows up with their kit. We can run, you know, if we want to run twin tension systems with, with smaller ropes or whatever we want to do, we have the, the kit to be able to make access and then perform basically a rescue as well. And then in our rescue truck, we have basically the same thing, but just a scaled up version. Mm-hmm. I think we still use, uh, I think we're working Petzl IDs for our, our kind of Highline stuff because we had them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, a few other like bigger items. I think probably like the Petzl Omni pulley is a little bit heavier, but not not much heavier than what we're using on our personal kits. So you have the ability to run bigger stuff. You can run attached to bigger ropes if you needed to. 
with our, our kit that stays in the truck, but our personal kit pretty much does 90% of what we, we need to do. And what's your, like, as far as your assess and stabilize type stuff, do you have a layered medical taking just the bare minimum down that, yeah. that you can actually do something with? Because I think it falls in line with what Ryan and I were talking about with what we're doing across the board from Rescue Task Force to SOCOM, CASAVAC to whatever, is you have an access problem almost no matter where you're at. So, you know, in yeah. your case, you know, we just talked about the access issue getting down there where FD and some other groups couldn't. Um, so, you know, in your case, it's scrambling, it's rappelling, it's releasable anchors getting down using what you have, um, you know, versus, you know, something in, a, in an RTF or something like that. And then that assess and stabilize is just a very quick movement to be able to perform that extraction and get them up to where you can actually really do medical care. Yeah. And it gets a little tricky. So it, the, it all depends. So basically our loadout can change very quickly. It's, it's somewhat modular kits of equipment. Um, so personal equipment in your bag, but then we also have, um, you know, like the rescue kits, um, in the, in the truck. So it depends on, on what we need and how much we're bringing, but our, say we're first in or first in on a scene. Some of our locations that we go to, we can make access with just whoever's there. So say the local fire department, they have some pretty good hikers out there, scramblers that can make access pretty quickly and at least get on the radio and let us know what we have. And then from there, you know, when we arrive, um, we'll get our rescue truck en route and then, okay, well, where are they located? How badly injured do we need to do? Basically with bottom to the gorge is a popular area to run calls for us. And there's a river down there and you can't necessarily walk people across it. If they break an arm, sometimes you can, um, but if they break a leg, definitely not gonna be able to get them across. So, we can do a high line. Uh, we'll basically high line them across. We'll keep them below the water. It makes it very simple, very fast. But then we can decide, do we need to bring a basket for that or can they ride in a, a harness, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bring down a patient harness and helmet and have them, you know, uh, pull across like that. So sometimes we have a, a kind of a recon team that goes in that's not our part of our team. Mm-hmm. And then we just get that info and find out what we need to bring. Sometimes we are the first one. And our kits for that are going to be our personal kits. It's a bag, some personal rope rescue equipment, a little bit of rope. But then also that might include like a foxtrot or something so that it's small and light enough so that if we need it, we have it. So we can move somebody somewhere. And it's probably not what we're going to do the entire rescue in because we can have additional personnel there. It just takes a little bit of time. We can just with a two-person recon team go in and actually get work done, get a good bit of work done, maybe get them across the river, maybe maybe start getting them to a better position to perform care. Uh, and then our, our medical kit as well will be light for that recon team mm-hmm. and we also have larger kits depending on what we need if there's someone else in there this is hey we need you know whatever this is what we're looking at for a patient you know we'll judge that um i know it wasn't too long we had someone with i think dispatched to a defibrillator going off in the bottom of the gorge mm-hmm. which why he was down there i don't know but so our loadout changed to basically an entire you know life pack 15 right cardiac monitor that's neat and that that gets tricky because it's heavy and then we have to carry it out <laughs> so but it happens. Yeah. I'd so we scale up based on what Try and get a heal on, man. Try and get a heal on that. <laughs> we, we could, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, like, you know, from the framework it goes, I think it's, it's great from the access, the assess and stabilize, the extraction, which may be, you may be extracting to a point where you can start setting up systems. Because we did that walkout that one day, and that was that was an ass wound, man. Yeah, thanks for the... The, the tips on getting out of that that was that was i mean that's just terrible terrain to do i mean you had a yeah. small narrow trail with edges going down pretty far on each side and it was one of those like you're setting up ma's but people are still having to carry it's just taking some of the work off it's that that was just a tough one or maybe yeah. an extraction too you guys what short rope out of those right you have a, a, a static line yep. uh, evac that you have yep. out on a helicopter so yeah georgia dnr can come out and yeah. um it gets a little tricky because they don't um with that and the terrain that they're in and the area they're in, they don't really feel comfortable with an attendant or anything, so the patient's on their own for a two, three-minute flight time up to the rim, but can't do that. Um, but then we also put them at risk to come down there because of the terrain, and they're going to be near trees and cliffs flying yeah. in there no matter what. So Yeah, that's what you got, because I think you had one last year, someone that had a, a drowning that, yeah. that was down yeah. there, yeah. Um, yeah, and that one, it, it required so much medical care that you can't do a carry-out and provide that level of care right. that they required. So we can provide as much care as possible, and then we'd have basically a short flight time with minimal care. But it, some patients, you can't you can't move like that. So. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, what's funny is it's, it's, it, I dig how you guys do it just because you have it mixed up. It's not like this is how we do mountain rescue. And the problem is it's like you know you have a couple areas because so the rescue you did on new year's was at a different location than Tulu there and pretty different man like different approaches yeah. different assets different everything and people that have this like hey this is how we do it 
you're you're going to get burned down because the context is is unpredictable of where they're going to fall, where they're going to be, the weather, man. Like even when we're out there, that one time we're out there with Bateman and stuff like that out there. I mean, it was like slick. It was it was snowy before then. It had melted a little bit. Oh, yeah, All yeah. the rocks were slick, you know, which yeah. has a whole nother degree of like stuff that you could be roped on that you normally wouldn't be roped on if it yeah. wasn't like ice and and you know snow and and melting crap and all that other stuff and in the shade it's still slick so uh, you have to be able to call audibles man so having the capability of yeah you've got some traditional stuff that's staged up if you need it but you got qrf like lightweight very rapid packaging type stuff for those people that like can scramble good can get down and so you know i always joke everybody's like you know what was your you know you probably have the same thing like who was your biggest influence in rescue and all this and you know you think about all these big names back in the day but none of them like i don't want to rescue like any of them for the most part like i learned some stuff from them and so i always say like probably the biggest influence i had as far as rescue is literally dj am and everybody thinks I'm being a smart ass, right? Like Adam Goldstein, DJ, I'm like phenomenal documentary you can get on like iTunes on the guy. But the dude would like mix whatever he dug. You know, like I think it's like the only DJ that like would go from like three six mafia to like Dolly Parton to like Journey into Metallica. But he just hit it. And it's almost the same thing. I think the rescue the same way. It's like I want to go light and fast until I can't go light and fast. So I may need yeah. something a little bit bigger. And then I need to just jive right into this and, and sway back and forth and and be able to not have a route memorization of this is how you do a rescue. Like you gotta call audibles left and right. You know, we have had issues, you know, that I know you've been around stuff where we've we've had injuries, uh, like at a waterfall where somebody slipped off and things like this. And it's we that was the last thing we were thinking about doing. We we're just out there hanging. So we're doing an entire rescue with like some twenty-two feet of webbing here and there and a, a dynamic rope of all things that we had yeah. to set up a high line with to get across this waterfall. I mean, you just got to know your shit enough to make it make it happen, man. Just rescue's, like yeah, it's going to happen no matter what. You just got to yeah, make it work with whatever you got. And you know, the better you can like understand material science. You know, how does this dynamic work and how can I make it work for what I need? You know, I mean, I need to tension it past this point of elongation to be able to do this, but what is my safety factor at that point? How does Dyneema mix with an aramid? Because I don't want to really mix those in most cases, but if I have to, what do I do? So it's like a little material science, some nonlinear physics, and you can literally take a little bit of a bag of ass and make make things work but you have yeah. to you have to spend the time to understand a little bit of, of how those interactions occur and when you get into traditional rescue and by the book rescues they don't account for that and they just assume you'll always have this thing and you may have that in a, a typical tech rescue fire department you know, a bunch of trucks a bunch of backpacks you get a bunch of stuff but once you go hiking in a couple kilometers or rappelling down past some rough terrain and waterfalls and that's where you're having to do patient care your evac setting us up Things aren't so linear anymore, man. Like, you've got to be able to mix it and, you know, mix some mountain rescue with some alpine, with some expedition. Then you're maybe moving into a point where your team may have set up some more traditional 11-millimeter lines once you can get them up to that point, and now you're on a different base. Or you may need to set up a tripod or a gym pole or something like that, and that may be up a little bit ways. So you're constantly mixing these things, and if you can't go between disciplines, I think you're you're not probably as effective as you potentially could be. You know, think about making a quick access using nothing but 11 mil and things like this without having the ability to do releasables and do all these other things. Like, you are hindering yourself. Now, without releasables, you're carrying a shit ton more rope. You're yeah, doing so a lot. We did, we did training on that. I think we did some... So, after I took over, we did some waterfall training. Mm-hmm. And then we did some releasable training. Um, so, one month, we, we typically train one full day a month and then some other days in between. One, one of those days, we did some waterfall repelling. I'm like, hey, guys, let's go outside and have some fun. We're not ever going to repel waterfalls during a rescue. Mm-hmm. That's silly. I understand that. But let's, it's fun. Let's go do it. So they're like, hell yeah, let's do it. Had a blast. Unless somebody Great falls time. off a waterfall. Thank yeah, you waterfall luckily nobody fell that day. Unless someone falls, yeah. But other than that, it was an awesome. They had a great time. Um, one guy was his first time ever repelling, and it was like straight mainlining heroin. Right. <laughs> um, as far as repelling is concerned, <laughs> he's, no, he's never going to get that on a, on a regular cliff. But he had a, he had a great time. Uh, anyway, so next month we're out doing some training in the Tula Gorge and we're doing releasable anchors. And I'm like, hey, you know, probably we've never had to use a releasable anchor before. I, don't, I can't really think of a ton of places where we'd actually have to use it, but I just think it'd be a good skill set to understand. Let's play with them. So we did it. It wasn't 11 o'clock that morning. We're at a, basically the base of a climbing wall, which is about 300 foot still off the, the gorge floor. And we get a call to the gorge at the gorge floor about 300 foot below us and it's like well we can climb up 300 feet into the trail and then go down to the other trail where these people are located or we can just 
repel our you know team. I think we had four six man team with us that day, and I think like six maybe, and we can just repel. And where we were at, there was a cascade. We were refilling water bottles, and we're like, well, we can repel this waterfall. 300 feet and release the anchors and make really fast access to that patient that's basically right below us and upstream a little bit uh, and that's that's basically what we had to do so um, it was really really interesting because we like I mean, we'll never use this we'll never need to know this uh, probably not going to happen and then we use it right and it's just one of those things if you don't have that capability you're never going to be able to use it yeah until you realize it and that's the thing is, with is it, how like, we do it a lot of times man is it allows us to take shorter ropes Right, because now we can do things in almost like a multi-pitch, even an urban area if we're going down balconies, release it, hit it, release it, hit it. And it just means you're lighter, means you're quicker, and it just gives you another expansion. When you hear it briefed, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever use it until you learn it and like how easy it is and really how safe it is, man. When we're running on a gat or some sort of toggle yeah. system, man, like that is a very smooth releaseable. I think what's funny is uh, I got to tell a story where we found this waterfall up in Georgia, North Carolina area. And I call you and I'm like, hey, dude, like this is kind of in your backyard. I was up there for somebody's wedding and we saw it earlier. When Actually, we saw it the first time because somebody from your team told us about yeah. it. David and I went and ate at the Dillard house and we're going out and we're probably like four miles away from it, but we see this huge waterfall up on this mountain. We're like, oh, dude, we got to do that. But it could have potentially been on private property. I don't know, right? I'm sure it's uh, national. No, time. yeah, it had to be, had to be because we would definitely not trespass. And, uh, but we decided like, hey, we got to do this. So it just so happens, warmed up a little bit. We gave you a call. You met us up there on like a Sunday, but we had no beta on this thing. So we didn't, no one's repelled it before. No one's gone down that portion. So we had zero beta. So we were like, I don't know, man, let's like, we'll take 300 feet of rope. We'll take some releasable shit and let's just see what happens. And as it turned out, dude, we had like what, four or five repels before we even got to the big one. I mean, we were just like, we had no beta on anything. It was crazy. And it was like the butt slide. I mean, this shit was like slip and slide repelling man on your butt. And that was killer. And then all of a sudden we got to the big, the big waterfall, which we it kind of sloped and then you had no vision of anything and we didn't have good cell service. And so we set up a releasable and did a toggle off that. And we didn't have enough, <laughs> enough shit for our pull line. So we literally like tying like Dyneema slings onto a pull line, onto like a piece like of webbing. Onto, dude, it was so ghetto. It was like literally just the most ghetto pull line you've ever seen, like a backpack at the end. And it was hysterical that just reached the ground. But it was so funny. We laid the 300 out and it literally just made it to the yeah. bottom of that waterfall. And then we ended up having to hike out that dude. It was nuts. Like we. Yeah, quick, quick. Quick in and out, one big waterfall, and we're back at the car. Yeah, it was a little bit yeah. longer than that. Five hours later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I told I like had my wife meet yeah. us at the bottom, like drive us out of here because it's private property, and uh, we're like, I'll be done in like forty five minutes. And Dave was like, I'll make it an hour, and it really was almost four hours. Yeah, it was like four hours. Yeah, that was hysterical. Good times. It, the best part was when we walked out and we were in some commune or some weirdness. Like there was like literally bobblehead angels and Jesus figurines and trees. Like, it was probably good. We had a ride out of there to yeah. go. I get there, and, yeah. like, Julie's got, like, her Glock on her lap, like, get in the truck and get the hell out of yeah. That was, uh, that was, was good, good time. That was a good time, man. Was but good time. I love the time. no beta. It is the no, no beta. beta. Like, right. on-site is, like, that's where you test, man. You know, you think about all the groups, like, you're talking about the fire tower stuff. You know, a buddy of mine was, uh, you know, was on a tech team in a big city, and people would always come up, like, oh, you guys, you guys must have a badass team. And he was hysterical because he's like, we are really good if we ever have to do a rescue at our fire tower. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Which is, it was like super solid. Like, we got it nailed. Any side they go down, we got it. Exactly. You know, but I think doing, whether it's a canyon or a gorge or a route on site, like, no beta, no nothing. And what you have is what you have. So once you commit, you're in it. And, you know, like us, we did not have enough pull lines. So we were literally grabbing whatever the hell is in our bags, including our bags, and adding it into being able to reach to be able to pull our anchor. I mean, that's where... It's where you learn good that's, techniques. I mean, that's where you're putting it out there. Absolutely. That's where you learn. That's where you're tested. Right. Like what, yeah, what'd you learn at the fire tower? What'd you learn at your local crag or wherever you're training at? When you go, no beta. Yeah. This is what I think we need to bring. But I don't know. And what you got is what you got. That's There's it. no calling in for really, reinforcements. I mean, people learn and problem solving. That's it. If you, you can sort out some problems and figure stuff out, that's how you learn. And what sucks is once you get, it's, it, that itself is almost like heroin, right? Is starting to get yeah. into doing no betas. Because then you're like, oh, we already know that place. Like, I already know that. Then you yeah. get into like, all right, we can't use these. Let's not use these. You know, and, and you're yeah. always trying to up the ante to get to that rush of like, 
trying to ride the edge a little bit, you know, uh, which is awesome, which brings us to your, um, you've got a really good thing that a lot of people I think listening to this will utilize is how you articulate the strength of an anchor. So a lot of people use bomber, a lot of people will use marginal and you use eh. Which I love. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, if, if you're out with Brent ever, man, and you're like, hey, dude, how's that anchor look? And it's like, eh. And it's pretty short. It's quick, eh. You're pretty solid. That's pretty much almost a bomber for almost yeah. kind of. And then the longer the eh, the more marginal it becomes. So, once I, yeah. I, I think after two seconds, like, eh, then we should probably add a second. Yeah. Right? We should yeah, pack it up. Yeah. And then the Bomber's any, bomber. Bomber's bomber, right? With eh, it's like go. Yeah. But eh, yeah, eh, should, should yeah, eh. So, it's just the length of the eh. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Eh. There's a tone change. It, but I'll buy that. Right. Tone change. You may be looking at a two or three point anchor. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like it. I, I like it too, man. I think that, I mean, that's what I it use. Works. I brief it. I, I think, think it's solid. I think our team all, all knows that as well. So it, it works out well. Yeah. It's a think? good form of communication. Yeah. I did. Yeah. That's good enough. Else, how are you going to rate it, man? It should be good. I don't know. Yeah. I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah. Um, what else we got, man? I think the big part on it, man, is is the part of it with the QRF is, is huge for me is we waste a lot of time. And we've worked with other mountain rescue teams in large national forests where we've gone in because we've been doing training there. And they're like, oh, we're doing some stuff. You guys want to come out? And, you know, we'll go out and swing out. And I'm always amazed, especially on, like, systems that have, like, non-single, non-SRT, non-single rope type stuff where they're putting belays on. And the length of time saying that we've got a casualty down here and the length of, t- <laughs> length of time that it takes to build that anchor, put your main line down, then find a separate anchor that I'm building and I'm making a belay line off of to literally just send somebody down to access is nauseating to me. I, like, I don't even understand that. And, you know, granted, 99.99%, like the only time we really use belay lines for the most part is like if we're using like bed sheets doing low vis stuff. I mean, yeah. everything else, we, it is, it is it, we don't have it really a second thought on, on a lot of that because we know the physics. We can yeah. read into where all right, this is cautionary. We need to be able to adjust this or whatever with the angles on a high line or anything like that, doing kind of cantonary type stuff. But I'm always amazed. Like you've got somebody injured down there. Like you need to be access. So you know, in urban's, like we literally will clip on, have somebody lay on their back, and we just meet anchor to get somebody down there. Then once we're down there, assessing them, doing the, then they're building a system using an anchor. But yeah. you can't enforce it. I always say like our rescue needs to be like. Uh, like we, we mock off like Jay-Z lyrics on like to motivate people on like how to understand what your rescue should be like. But we always joke because so much stuff we're doing in California is like you need to rescue like a 211, which is literally the, the penal code for armed robbery. Like you need to like rescue that person like armed yeah. robbery, man, like, you know, which has a little bit better connotation when we're talking tactical rescue. But like it is you are steal you are you are stealing. You're on the clock. It's like freaking heat. And then as Jay-Z would say, man, but when the shells come. You better return them. All scars, we earn them. All cars, we learn them. Like the back of our hands, watching for cops popping out of the back of vans. Pretty much that tells you. Everything I learned about rescue, I pretty much learned from Jay-Z when it comes down to it, besides Missy Elliott and the Munner Hedge. Of course. But, but, you know, the speed in which you get there, it's amazing to see how long people take to set up their their twin systems, their their mainline belay systems. When in reality, like, get somebody down there and then worry about your stuff. One person compared to, let's say, 11 mil, right? We're looking at, like, a 27 kilonewton capability, right? A 6,000 pound for an 11 mil standard, right? 27 kilonewtons. The average rescuer weighs about a kilonewton. Maybe 1.5 kilonewtons. So you're looking at if, if you can tie a knot, and you can get something stronger than what that person is as far as weight. Not even including the friction they're going to get over an angle. Like it doesn't take much. No. Like, get them. Then you're looking at 27 to one safety factor right now. If somebody can't decide how to do friction to get down a couple hundred feet, like you may want to yeah. think about like doing something else, man. Like nursing. <laughs> exactly. So we've done with our training, and we push we push the limit. You know, as far as our training is concerned, and when it applies, so it's every time we train on something weird or something new, like man, we probably never use this, but it's fun just to learn and push limits to see like how shady of an anchor or how little of, of stuff we can get by with. It turns out like not a week later, we'll we'll apply something from that in a rescue. Mm-hmm. It happens. So the more you know, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know, or the yeah, something, something like that, right? Do that, yeah. But it, once you have that skill set, you can apply it to things that once we would have never considered. Like, why do we need to fix this? problem we already knew how to solve this or whatever and then you come up with this other just playing just training doing some weirdness and then you're like man we can actually use that right now Mm -hmm. so we're perfect perfect for this right now so the more tools you have the more skills you have in the bag the more you start applying them with the shady anchor stuff man we it's funny because we'll have our team together and someone will like i don't know if that you know roto is strong enough to hold me you know i don't know we'll sit down we'll do a little bit of math it was kind of like 
the training's the time for that. Let's look at it. What do you think? And I'll tell you what. Why don't we go down and we'll back it up. And they'll play with it. And the next thing you know, instead of looking for a two-foot-across tree for anchors, you know, someone's taking a you know, a four-inch tree that's in a better location. And they're like, I'm going to wrap, you know, I'm just going to sling that real quick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two years ago, three years ago, people, there's no way. Oh, I don't know. Is that strong enough? Is it not? Well, like, we tried all these trees. I mean, different sizes and different you know, the varying degree of rootage and different types of trees. And we're like, man, we've propelled off some pretty shady crap. That's bomber. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're bomber, but your, your perspective of bomber is now relative. It is. And I think it's, it's gotten worse once we start adding safety and it's been this like, Hey, if this is safe, then this will be safer. And this is safe. Then now you've got a complex system oh, yeah. of stuff that doesn't make sense. And there's more room for error as you, Oh, we need to add this into there. We need to add this into there. Besides just knowing like how a Munner hitch works or something, you know, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. now you've got these devices and everything that you've got to do. And I'm not banging on that because I think they have their place, but with the research that's come out, you know, going back to the basket hitch versus the wrap three pull two, and you get into finding out so many of these things are theoretical. And then you can look at that tree and be like, Hey, as long as I keep it low, I'm not going to have that torque force. Right. And then, you know, and, and on a lower or on a rappel, I want it low anyways, because I want to catch that 90 degree over that edge, which is going to take so much weight off that damn anchor. And so even a soft start versus a hard start, you know, we've had people that, that a soft start, meaning like, um, somebody that's on their butt, like we do it in canyoneering all the time. Cause our, our anchors are super shady on those. And we're usually building them like carn anchors or, or something just, you know, backed up with meat or sand traps or something like that, where if you can start off on your butt and you just kind of like, have your hand on top of your ropes and just slide your you know left hip down or whatever being right-handed and then weight that angle before it weights your anchor like in some cases man especially where we are in like granite and stuff like that you're, you're looking at taking almost 60 to 70 percent of your weight off the anchor and you know putting dynamometers you know we're fortunate enough to have dynamometers coming out our ass the rock exotica enforcer so we can always see and judge but if i stand up I'm creating like a lever on top of a lever. So we've had 200 pound guys that have put almost 400 pounds of force doing an yeah. L out, that traditional, oh, I got yeah. an L out because that's how I learned to repel versus doing a soft start on your butt where we put that same 200 has put like 60, 70 pounds of force maybe onto that anchor. I mean, it's, so yeah. I can increase my safety margin huge just by the technique I go over the edge. Yeah, I learned physics the hard way with those. Yeah, I know. Just getting myself into shitty <laughs> the situations. The and way. And, uh, eh, and yeah. like, well, my partner's going to get down no problem because I'm going to be holding this uh, two inch little crappy tree one inch little crappy tree barely in this rock here but i'm pretty screwed yeah um and then yeah i just i'm gonna just slide my entire body down this granite cliff. And, okay so that's a good and point man stick my tongue out and have it grab some traction too right and so and die, so you know and that's the interesting thing is, is we were just out in in utah a couple months ago and there's a couple i mean we used a, a, a bag a backpack um, that's made for water, so it's got holes in it. It's, it's about a maybe almost a pound backpack, and it had 150 feet of rope in it. And it of all the rope, it was a 7.5, 150 feet of rope. So we're looking at about a five pound capability that, that was in there. And the way we wedged it, that was our anchor, and it was our releasable anchor too. So we had the pole line attached to the ass of it with two rocks on top, and we pulled it. It worked incredible, but at the same time as we were going down, we made sure like our body was rubbing on that sandstone, that cliff, the whole yeah. way down. Because if you're feeling friction on your body, you're taking pull off of your anchor. Yeah. You know, so we have the edge, plus our body is in contact, and we're not stopping and going. Once we're going, we're just keeping a nice steady space yeah. the whole time, because every time you stop and then go, you're creating forces all the way up that system. Yeah. And it's just learning a little bit of that. You can get away with some stuff that you think is shady, and actually turns out to be pretty damn yeah. secure, man, especially on a rappel or a lower, right? When you get into MAs, you know, you got to think about it a little bit more, you know. Uh, we always tell people, like, learn to count your mechanical advantages, not to figure out, oh, I've got a three-to-one or five-to-one complex, but learn how much weight is being put onto your thing. So anytime you're pulling against that anchor on an MA by doing a change of direction, you've just, you've just doubled that force onto that. Yeah. And, and in those cases, your weight on your anchor will be one more tension than what you even have as a load. And then if you do it, you know, the way like on your five to one complex, man, it's phenomenal. I love it. As long as your anchor can handle it. Yeah. You yeah. know, otherwise build something simple so you're pulling towards your anchor and you will always reduce that or spread your anchors out on an MA or whatever. Um, but you just got to learn it. We teach a lot of that with just having someone you know, meet, meet anchor. anchor. That's it, man. Like we, we go to some areas and it's just so slippery and we had we were doing some swift water training, but coming out of there, it's just a steep, low angle, with no traction whatsoever. And you just slide back down, you get 10 foot up and you'll just slide right back down to the pool of water. And we had a guy just sit on his ass, the harness face, harness facing, you know, downhill and freaking through the guy line, clip it to you. And, uh, we were able to run just a simple system off of him to slide up the other guy 
and basically you were like, all right, how much do you think you can hold this guy? This guy's like three times your weight. Yeah. You know, like you think he's like, I don't know, I don't know. And you run a three to one off of him, pull it uphill. Your money. And the guy's like, dude, I don't even have like a divot to sit in. I'm just laying on rock and mm-hmm. my, my clothes and shoes are providing friction. It's not even really wedged in anything. So we do that every class. I know we did it yeah. up in the mountains that time. And it, and it is, it's a good thing. If anybody's out there training, especially where you, you want to see like, what is this whole meat anchor? You can repel off each other all day long. And as long as your rope hits an angle or a couple angles, whether you're urban or your mountain, you're going to be able to handle their weight all day long doing quick meat anchors where it just is. You're the anchor. You get your foot up against a tree and then dudes go off the edge and you're going to be able to control that. No problem. Now on a mechanical advantage where when you're, when you're static, you're holding their weight, but when you're pulling, then that weight gets increased onto yeah. that anchor, right? So it's it's as you're pulling, you get that that where that progressive capture is. But train on it in in a in a low environment or in a small, you know, maybe fifty foot, you know, twenty foot cliff to where they can feel. But it's interesting because we'll have people on a three to one, and if he's able to get his ass down, get a foot on a tree or whatever, and I'm pulling that, he can handle that anchor. He feels the pull, but it's not that bad. But then turn it around and pull against him. So either do a change yeah. direction or yeah. turn it into a five to one, and then just put a safety on him because he will want to fly. No, no, that's what we've had to do and before. That, and, it's amazing. And that gives people the understanding of like when they look at that tree or whatever, then they know that basic force. Then they can, you know what I'm yep. saying? They can look at that tree and be like, yeah, I felt that force, man. And I don't know about that one. So we may yeah. want to, you no, know. For us, where that comes in super handy. It's not that we're going on a bunch of rescues off really shady anchors, but just movement and speed. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you just have to to move quickly, because like you're saying, rescues take forever. It's insane how much time you can waste just doing nothing. Uh, and in training, I mean, really in training, we, we pick up the pace a good bit and stop when we need to really figure out, like, hey, what are we doing here? What do you think about this? Everyone good with this? And come on, anyone have better suggestion? Whatever. We, we have time in training for that. But during the rescue, man, you got to move. So you need to make decisions quickly. Like, maybe not the perfect decision, maybe not the best plan in the world, but as a decision, we're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And it's good. Mm-hmm. It may not be the best, but it's good. And that's, that's another thing we run into is people want to think of 18 different ways to rescue this person. You're like, just freaking do something. Yes. Yeah. Debating it is worse than doing. And the best thing is, the best is one, to, so. to push yourself in training. So you have options and you know yeah. the parameters because everybody has a good idea fairy during the rescue for real. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, that's yeah. not the time yeah, to yeah, pull time that shit out. So yeah, just making decisions, I think is what kills time with that, but also movement. So choosing those anchors, you're like, well, I want to do this one, but they'll have to redirect off this. To redirect off that, and if you're comfortable with like, a, no, I'm just going to take this four inch tree right here, and I'm going to build an anchor off that because mm-hmm. it's right in the location I want. It makes you that much faster. Or the meat anchor, like we did that on, on the thing. Just, and, hey, and I can lay down here, move this guy up really quick, and then we can pack this rope and get the hell out of here. Remember the day we were up at Twin Falls, and we had him moving the casualty up yeah, there, yeah, yeah. and they did all meat anchors, and that was so fast because yep. basically the guy has the micro on him, yep. he runs up to where the run the line runs out, you know, and then sets it on his ass literally, yep. and he's got one other dude up there that's helping the dude's pull so the guy's coming up yeah they're holding the casualty or they're sliding them or, manu- or carrying them certain areas but they're being pulled up on a three to one and then you're not setting a, a, a webbing anchor and finding it's the same all those transitions you, that kill you it is and so time. wherever he can run up to and then he just finds a good spot that he's able to sit and get some get his leg up against something whether it's a rock or whatever he just sits his ass down and then they start pulling immediately yeah. and it's so much faster than setting an anchor and doing Absolutely. this and, and doing that multi-pitch approach is so quick man because yep. you're able to adjust at the minutia of things. And this one, yeah, maybe we're pulling it out the full 75 feet or 100 foot sections. And then this one may just be a 50 because now we're going to need it to extend up. So it gives you so many more options, I think. Yeah. But with with that, this the transition is so much quicker. Mm-hmm. You're taking up the anchor, putting up the anchor, taking it down so much faster. If you can run meter or whatever you can do, just like whatever. It, when, you're, when you're moving that patient with your 3 to 1 or whatever you're using, that time is pretty much going to take the same amount of time no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's not really much you can do to speed that up that much. What kills you for speed is all those transitions. When you build your anchor, when you're finding your anchor, when you're setting up that system. Guys scrambling to the top. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, we always talk about like scene choreography, right? If we're running yeah. a code or we're running this, like, and people forget how long it's taking, you know, if they're staying and playing, right? And especially yeah. in trauma calls or, you know, vehicle accidents and things like the active shooters, right? Things like this is you have the scene choreography where time seems to like you don't know you're spending as much time doing that and it's probably worthwhile if you if you like want to be good is look at break it down just like somebody shooting right is what's my reload times what's my time out of the holster what are all these things and they they got the timer on them the whole time and they're working on these individual portions and if you can look at portions that you can speed up 
by, let's yep. say, going to a meat anchor versus wrapping that, setting up an anchor, doing your basket hitch, wraps your pull to setting up their, your line, yep. setting up the MA versus keeping that thing hooked up to a meat anchor. And as soon as he gets to you, you open up that micro traction to where it f- rolls and you just keep going, stretching it out. The other dude's got the the um, the three to one with the rope grab and all, moves up right with you. You sit down, he sets it and starts pulling. It's amazing the time that you can take off. Yeah, ton of time. That was a, I was a big nerd. I'm always a big nerd with efficiency yeah. and everything, but efficiency of movement, efficiency of just yeah, getting in, getting out. What are you gonna do? But going back to teenager rock climbing, like we were doing multi pitch climbing, and basically we just wanted to climb a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, freaking nothing better. I have a day off, whatever. I'm gonna go climb, and you know, you go from climbing like a three pitch route. You know, it takes you all day to doing like three five pitch routes in a day, and you're like, man, like I don't really climb up any faster. And you have to look at your transitions is the biggest thing. So yep. your anchor building, but also, so like we, I remember rock climbing, we would flip leads. Mm-hmm. So as the, the, the followers coming up, he now has a full rack of gear. If he just keeps climbing. Even how the top rope flaking out, man, yeah. to be able to make so, a quicker transition. So getting change, everything yeah. ready. And that's the other thing we're trying to worry about right now is packing rope, man, getting mm-hmm. ropes out. And that's time. So we have to figure out, yeah, when, where can we save time? You know, when can we wait for stuff? When does it need to be down now? When needs to be set up quicker? And that's the biggest thing is transitions for us with every pitch or whatever we're doing as mm-hmm. far as going up. Um, just making a decision to do this or do that or don't debate on 18 different what anchor, what tree am I going to use or what rock am I going to use or am I going to use cams here? Just make a freaking decision go with it. Yeah, and that's I it. I, and I think if you're... If you're the enemy of good enough. Right, right? And, and that's like, the thing is, is you're never going to have it perfect. You're going to have it... You're going to have it good enough because you're dealing with really a lack of information. You're dealing with environmental pathology you can't control, right? Is it raining? Is it 2 o'clock in the morning that you're doing the rescue? Is it icy? Is it wet? Is it hot? Is it whatever? Uh, you got these things you, you really can't control. And sometimes having to dictate a different way out based on patient severity, right? All these things play a role in there, and you've got to be able to call audible. So in training, like get something out of your training, pull out a stopwatch and see just between each pitch that you're bringing this guy up on hall systems, what is that time it takes to go from one anchor, tie him off, have another team scramble up? Is it two people? Is it three people that you need? What is your team assets, organic assets? And try doing it, uh, ripping it onto anchors, whether it's rocks, whether it's cams, whether it's, it's, uh, trees and then try a meat anchor, man. And see if you can get that, see what that force is and, and start using the right person for the right job and come up with ways that where you can decrease time because you have a window of opportunity with us. And just like you said, you may have somebody with a broken arm and it's not that critical and you're able to walk out or do something like this. But on those critical patients, that's where the, the rubber meets the road, man. And that's where your transition times and all those things become calculated. Like you yes. are rigging based on data-driven information yep. and based on an informed decision-making because you've you've tried it and you know that these transitions are faster or maybe these transitions are more yep. secure because now we have two people on the line because I need a litter attendant. But these are things that have to be worked out and you've got to have those notes. Just keep a dope book, man, of yeah, your trainings. We, we do. We, we time everything and then with resources, we keep a whole book of what equipment we carried with us as far as, you know, like what what was the waste? What just took up space in our pack or was extra weight to carry in or what actually we used? You know, what pieces could you... You know, would I not want to ever live without? Or yeah. which ones are like, eh, I could get by with this and be just as fast? Yeah, and we call it like a rescue rack, man, is like we test Like we started using the totem rack all the time, which yep. is the yeah, shit that we know. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. It's just so quick and grab. I can look at it and know everything's there and I know what its capabilities are. And it's quick, but, you know, at, at the same time, it's it's like you've got to add some professionalism to what you're doing because that's your job. Like people are yeah. counting, like, you're, you know, whether you're a volunteer team or you're this team or you're a mixed team or whatever the hell you should be able to be like really good, understand everything that's on that truck, its capabilities, its endpoints, and and where it fits into that thing to be able to improvise and adapt very quickly. But I think narrowing that time down, hitting that window of opportunity to get them out before it gets dark while the helo can still take them, while whatever those those constrictions are is, I mean, it goes without saying, like you have to train on it and you have to make those trainings complex at times like you've got to add variables into it and i'm not saying i'll make it really confusing stuff but what i'm saying is you've got to add complexity to the point where what you normally count on isn't there how are we going to get around that you know you got to add variables onto it to where you engineer to where okay here's all the assets and that's great because that's how we train all the time but now we're taking this and this away what do we have here now half the team can't make it because of this or weather that's that's an issue we run into i mean you get a holiday weekend or something Mm -hmm. and your team are on vacation or they're gone for the week or whatever and they may not be available so that was the other the other aspect that we've had to hit as well is not only train with what equipment we have what equipment we may not have what about other teams like we might get there and it might be another fire department. We might be mutual aid to another department that's running half inch. And like, can we use their equipment? Do we know enough about their equipment? 
Um, but also, could we teach them to use our equipment in a quick enough manner? What aspects can we have them do comfortably? And what aspects do we need to do with our specialized equipment? Right. Yeah. So that was the other thing that like, we might just have. You know, some rescues, two, four people maybe that show up, you know, that are available on our team or volunteer. We can't really expect everyone to come out of everything. But could they basically pop in as, as a leader and ops chief of this call? And can they run operations? And could they delegate all these other tasks to get them done? Could they delegate and articulate it efficiently enough to get it done quickly? Because sometimes it's easier for me to just do all the work. Mm-hmm. But if I could articulate it well enough to an untrained provider, relatively untrained, you know, rescuer, could we get this done even faster? And that was the other aspect we've had to break in. And we, we deal a lot with a group of uh, prisoners from the fire department. <laughs> These girls, man. They're, now, they're, prison, they're not fire department prisoners. They are technically... They're prisoners. Yes, they're prisoners. That are part of the fire department. Right. Like eight of them at any given time. It's a female prison. These girls are badass, man. They carry people out of the most rugged terrain in North Georgia all the time. They're called upon by everyone in the North Georgia area or anywhere. I mean, they, these girls are out all the time doing a lot of hard work. Just gangster. They're just gangsters. Just Keeping straight. it 100. Exactly. Woke I up, mean, half-dressed, still buzzing. Exactly. Text says, keep it 100. Perfect. Um, but we've worked with them closely as well, and that was because this is one of our local assets that, that they can, I mean, they don't, they're not, you know, on vacation or, or work, you know, for a lot of these rescues. They're available. They just get in out. and get it done. And they, but we have to, to work, you know, we need them. We need their, their resource, their woman power to come out and, and help do carryouts. And we may not have from our actual like half star, we might just have a few technically trained people that can run the rescue, but they, they can't carry the basket too. Mm-hmm. So we'll have them do a lot of that work. And we've put a lot of training into making non-technical rescue, like technical, like stepping up their level of understanding of a carryout in a, a relatively semi-technical or non-technical environment, but even getting them moving faster and moving and like they're, they're, they're badass to begin with. And we were able to show them a few little tips and tricks here and there and integrate it with what we're doing with the rope side of it for blaze systems or even like simple hull systems and lower angle terrain going up long distances out of like Tula Gorge. And we've cut our, our times from two and a half hours from, you know, Highline across the river to the top and an awaiting ambulance to now, I think we're like 40 some odd minutes the last one. And that was with like a, that wasn't even eight, people maybe See, I mean, that, that was like we found like the lower number of people we have on scene the quicker we get work done. sure because we have many rescues actual rescues and people get paged out of everywhere in surrounding counties for mutual aid maybe and you could have 30 40 people sometimes and they all want to help and we had a huge issue with that because yeah. the more rescuers we get in there then the more logistics you have to have because they need to have water or they need to have food and snacks maybe or something like that and that's the one thing they'll send a team in with nothing and they're like well we need water so they'll send in a team of eight you know with with water bottles and that team of eight now is in there and i'm exaggerating a little bit but like Hey, we need we need water too, you know. So bring us another team of people. The next thing you have like right. a lady with a broken wrist that you're walking out with like 14 people down there, and then we have to go back down for rescuers because not all of them are necessarily you know, physically able to pull that off. And you're like, why are why are you in this train to begin with? So it gets pretty interesting. But we've been working a lot with the the, the prisoner fire department team because they're so I'd say like ask. two things uh, take home like this, and we'll we'll start winding down. Yeah. But I think two take home points on that is, is really good. Is one is while you're doing these rescues. Depending on whether you're, you're, you know, obviously a two man's not going to make a difference, but you get into like a four man or above group, you really got to consider because no one's going to say anything, cycling people out. So who's scrambling versus that? Because you're just yeah. going to wear people out, and especially in the train there to the gorge, man. If you're the scramble team going up and then pulling, and then scramble team going up and pulling, like you need to switch people out. But if you have assets where you're not doing something technical, where it's just carrying out, like get those people cycled in, get well, your dudes a break. That was something that we've all found, and we found pretty damn quickly. But don't wait till you're tired carrying a dead basket. Right. I mean, it sucks. Like, you've been on that trail. And I'm like, hey, man, what's your magic secret to get out of this trail with low resources and, and make it super easy? And you're like, man, I just would not want to do a rescue here. Yeah. I mean, it's you're just like, going to suck ass. Shit, That's like, it. Thanks. Thanks for the help. Um, so it's just sucky. And yeah. it just sucks carrying up. But if, if we basically cycle people through and understand, like, hey, the spectators in the back, but everyone else needs to be up front and every little ledge to grab this thing. And, and like, no one wants to, that was the one thing, too. No one wanted to train. They wanted to go to, like, do high angle rescue. Right. And they would set up, like, a tripod. Right. And make it you know, really complex. And you're like, yeah, man, that's cool. Like you understand all this complex stuff, but a lot of the, most of what we run, it's a simple problem. And you, they come up with these like really complex solutions to them. But those first couple of people are not going to be carrying a freaking well, vortex no, yeah. in and all this other shit. Exactly. So, so we've really refined a lot of that. Not only like our, our high, high end technical stuff of it, but like, let's really master the basics on this one. Like how quick can we make a carry out coming up this man? I mean, it always sucks. And we have to take multiple breaks. Now we can keep a basket moving the entire time mm-hmm. without ever having to stop. Because we found out every time we stopped, they want to put the basket down. And now you're sitting there for 15 minutes or 10 minutes, catching your breath, grabbing it. And we're like, no, nah, screw that. 
And some of it was our fault. Like we couldn't move a belay line quick enough or couldn't mm-hmm. use it for using a simple MA. We couldn't transition quick enough. So, you know, with even just like a moving belay, we're like, it's like a, even the, the teams we have carrying, if it's us or, or somebody else helping with it, like when you get to a point where we have to transition from one anchor to the next, like they stop, you know, they take a break. And that was like at first, like, man, we need to really go to the drawing board on this. Like we can't transition quick enough. We need to move continuously with no stopping, no pausing in the anchor system. So, so basically we have someone running an anchor and then someone that's up ahead running the lineup looking for the next spot. Mm. And you, you have to keep moving with that. And then our, yeah, our carryout times went from really long and extended to they don't stop. They just keep moving. They don't, they mean, really going uphill carrying a basket, you're not going any faster, no matter, no matter what, you're going to move at that same pace. But as long as you don't stop, you're fast. And that was the biggest thing. Transitions yeah. again. And I think on the same thing, too, is we obviously run drills like this, too, but if you have, let's say, a volunteer team or you have something with a low man, low resource team, or you have people that could be a QRF there, is being able to build systems that you know that you can rely on, let's say, other people that may be at Tulula Gorge that are just civilians, right? That they can do something like pull a line. So if you're a two-man team, you know, being able to do a quick three-to-one to where you have a guy working that thing Brent's going down. I'm working this anchor, and I can recruit these people. But I built a system because you'll rappel down on a three to one that we build real quick, right? You know, uh, even yeah. if you're by yourself, and you can have a couple people that's like you give the literally the thirty second. Okay, this is this is a rope grab. You're going to pull on this line, and once it meets this progressive capture, all you're going to do is let go of the line. And you're going to pull that to the edge again, and then pull again. If I tell you to stop, stop. You good? And be able to rig it that so you can huge. bring people in to help, especially if you're just like that two man QRF. You're still waiting on resources to get in there, where you can at least start to the traction phase and build systems that you know you can get help with just civilians. Yeah. So that was one thing we've had to hit a lot of. So our, our numbers aren't like the, the largest. So, you know, and we're a volunteer organization, so we'll have like maybe paid fire EMS there that, that is able to help out. We might have other, it's like Tula Gorge is on the border of another county. So they might have their, you know, with Raven County, they might come down and help out as well. And they're all a very level, very level of training. And, you know, the EMS and fire is like, you know, it might just be, I know actually just recently, it was just me that showed up. And it was a relatively not sick patient, but she broke like an ankle. Mm-hmm. And we had to get her across the river, which means she can't walk. It's extremely slippery down there and, and too too fast. Uh, so we have to set up a high line to zip her across. And that was one of the things, as soon as the recon team's down, they're like, hey, what do you got? And they're like, hey, we have this lady down here, this yada yada. So basically we made a decision, hey, we don't need a basket to get her across. And basically actually where she was in Tula Gorge, there is one section um, that you can make access to via stairs, so, you know, like a thousand stairs or something. You can go down. There's a platform at the very bottom, and then you need a permit to go down below. And she had to, you know, permit whatever and went across the river and slipped. It's extremely slippery. Broke her ankle pretty good. Um, no way she's going back up. No way she's walking up the stairs. So we use a stair chair, a simple stair chair to carry up. And that was another thing: swapping resources very quickly before they retired, and you could move fast. And there's no transition time because there's no one wanting to take a break or get breath air or whatever. They can just they can transition up. But getting across is pretty technical because you have to set up a high line, basically. Mm-hmm. There's no other easy way to do it. And it was just me. And as far as technical rescue capabilities, some other guys that knows how to like maybe make an anchor or something, but no real technical rescues to pull at a high line. High lines can get pretty complex. But I had to run both sides. So basically, I had to set up the one side um, where kind of my terminal end was. And then I had to basically package her with the basket or excuse me not a basket we used a harness and she had to go into a you know put a helmet on her she had to be set up and underneath the line where we were going to set it up and run across and then when we went across we had to set up our ropes and anchors and basically I have to explain to them like hey here's how this is going to go I'm going to go to this side I'm going to tighten this rope when I start tightening this rope up she's going to be lifted off the ground but that first little transition when I lift her off the ground she's going to bounce and she's going to slam back down the rocks so when I you know give you the thumbs up or I call you on the radio and say hey we're tensioning this thing I need you to hold her kind of with either side. And I think I directed one of the rescuers and like family there was a, you know, family is with them. Like, hey, you're just going to help hold her, guide her up nice and easy as I tension the lineup. And then you're going to, you know, walk her to the side of the river and I'm going to pull the rest of the way across. But all of that had to be set up. All of it had to be done before I had to cross That's back it, over. Yeah. And they, they, it all has to be set and it all has to be right. And I can't go back and check it. I mean, it's just going to take way too much time going back and forth. Uh, so if you can set it up safely and then direct them and articulate quick enough, you know, what you need done and how to get it and they like all right we got it yeah and that's the thing man run drills with your team and just be like all right man like brent's running this one and the rest of you are you don't know anything about rope so he's got to explain everything and let's just consolidate it and make it because we don't want to get too deep into it but we just need enough that they understand what's going on what they need to do and keep it simple because they're going to be freaked out uh thinking like something's critical but make it so you, you can you can rock that thing but uh hey man like we'll 
we need to hit a second one. Um, yeah. So on the next one, I think what we need to talk about is like assets you bring in in case it becomes longer, like shift for water purification. So people aren't bringing water to you if you're around. Bring that every time. Water source is some sort of jet. Oh, water. so am I, man. So yeah, we'll talk about the SteriPens. We're using ultraviolet versus the, versus capsules and versus the other stuff, jet boil stuff that can use obviously to, to heat shit up for you. If you, if you get caught out there, whatever for, for food or for whatever, for the patient. Uh, but also you'd be able to, you know, heat that water up, put it in the Nalgene's and keep your patient warm on the evac out and do some stuff like that. So we'll talk more about like the logistical support of personnel while you're in these things. Logistics where it's at. And, uh, and obviously that casualty and stuff like that is going to be needing water and things like this and humping water is not what you want to do. Now strategy, uh, strategy is the easy part. Yeah. Like, no, and I'm going to set up a three to one or whatever systems. That's easy. Logistics, though, like how am I actually going to make that happen? Yeah, I'm going to pack that exactly. Crap and even bag. even bringing up like an extra helmet for the casualty and things yeah. like this is is critical type of crap, you know. Um, Logistics so, yeah. are huge. Yeah, so yeah, we'll hit that. Burn you. We'll hit that next time, man. So, Brent, thanks, man. Cool. Later. Peace. Click your beaters, dip your hats. I got ice, cold ice, water blowing up both my caps. Sand blowing down as I hit the crevasse. Don't bother me, 